in our culture, I think different kinds of cleansing and different kinds of stretching. And so we're brought up to clean the house, we're brought up to clean a car, we're brought up to keep things pretty clean, especially our bodies. But we're not taught how to clean our heart or to clean our mind. And so the way that I think that um, we're raised and then we go into our adult life, we don't have any sense of what that might mean or the importance of it. And sometimes I'll joke with people that, you know, what would happen if no one cleaned the kitchen sink? You know, or cleaned the bathroom. And a week went by, and then two weeks went by. You know, somebody does it in your house somehow, somewhere along the line. If it didn't get clean, you know, by the time it didn't get clean after months, you know, how would you feel? It would be disgusting, right? I mean, it would just be totally disgusting. Well, that's actually how our minds are, if we don't clean them. But we just don't get any reference point for that or relationship to it. Coming on a retreat, um, one of the first things that happens when we sit down and the first day or two is we start to face uh, that kind of um, dirt in the mind. And we don't even know what it is. We don't even know what's going on. Last year, um, I went for a hike on the biggest mountain on Oahu, on our island in Honolulu. And I hadn't been on anything like that, that kind of a hike, uh, for probably 17 years. Uh, so I was really out of shape. As you can see, I can sit here quite well, and you'd probably be able to sit, watch me sit for a long time. And I'm used to this. I'm, I'm stretched. My, my mind and heart are stretched. But actually, my physical body at that point wasn't so stretched, so it was an interesting experience. Once I got up halfway up the mountain, we actually had to use ropes. Uh, and I said to the leader of the hike, you know, just forget it. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go on. Leave me here. And he said, you know, Michelle, can't you just try? And I said, no. Uh, <laughs> And there were a group of uh, Native Hawaiians on the hike, and they were the ones who talked me into it, because they said they would go as slow as I needed to go. And the hike took nine hours. You know, it was a two-and-a-half-mile hike, nine hours. And it was really interesting, because in their culture, we had all the time in the world. And I never hiked like that. I always hiked with the idea that you get to the top. But they had no sense of getting to the top. And when we got to the top, there was no hurry to get to the bottom. It was great. It was very much like this practice where, you know, what, is, what, is, what are we doing? Are we in the process of getting to the top or in the bottom? Are we really there? Are we in a hurry? Um, or are we with the process of it? Um, that night when I got home, um, I took a bath and then for the next three nights, when I was lying on my back, I couldn't even turn over to, to my side. I was so sore. Like when I got in bed, I had to stay in that position, whatever it was, for the whole night. You know, I really <laughs> pushed way beyond any limit that I had gone through for 16 years. 
And it felt great. You know, it hurt. It hurt like anything. But I felt so good about stretching beyond my limit in that way. And I would suggest that that's what we do on a retreat. But it's, it's harder to see it because it's easier to see it if it's a physical hike. It's easier to see it um, when it's a muscle. It's not so easy to see it when it's our mind or our heart. So in some ways, I wanted to talk about, in the first part of the talk, about <clears throat> renunciation. And in the West, renunciation can be a kind of uh, dirty word. And I'm often afraid to even bring up the subject. Uh, it's like there's resistance in us to even hearing the word. Another word is restraint or renunciation. And especially, you know, for young adults, it's like, you know, how many of you like that word or relate to it? Renunciation. What does it mean? Oh, renunciation. What does it mean? Good question. Um, <laughs> You've heard the word conservation, yeah? Most of us know about the environment and how we're uh, not using our resources wisely. Well, conservation on a retreat is why we're not having you read a lot and why there's not a lot of videos playing and why we have silence and why we try to bring about an atmosphere of walking slowly and being mindful. That's conserving energy. We're not at, no one's going out shopping, no one's cooking, the staff are taking care of us. That's conserving energy. And then we ask you to uh, not kill, to protect life, not to steal, not to lie, uh, to conserve our sexual energy, not to harm the mind with alcohol and drugs. All of that is conservation of energy again, conservation of resources. And it's moving toward renunciation, which is is a kind of letting go of control and surrendering to a form. So every time we walk into this hall and we sit for a half an hour, that's renunciation. And the idea of it is that we give up what we want. We give up our preferences. And there's no goal in coming in to sit other than to work with what's coming up in the mind. It's similar to cleaning the sink or it's similar to climbing the mountain I did. It's like um, we just have the courage to face what our mind is like, and we get free or liberated through facing what comes up. So maybe <laughs> sleepiness comes up, or maybe loneliness comes up, or fear, or doubt, or whatever. Um, that's how we get liberated. We face the human mind, which is what I was trying to talk about last night that my mind and your mind, when it comes to sleepiness, there's no difference. When it comes to restlessness, there's no difference. And when it comes to anger or fear, there's no difference. There's some basic parts of our hearts and minds that are universal. So you can see that uh, culturally, uh, giving up a certain level of comfort to sit still and face pain as well as pleasure, it's a revolution. It's so, uh, it's so going against the current of our culture. Uh, and what we're shifting from is from being really caught in pleasure and pain, being a victim of pleasure and pain. We're moving toward getting a relationship with our own self, 
a relationship with our heart. We get a relationship with fear rather than an aversion or a running away from it. So over time, through this process of renunciation, which is surrendering to a half-hour walking, surrendering to the food here, <laughs> you know, surrendering to the schedule, uh, we start to be free in it. Uh, but we tend to be conditioned in our culture to think that we get free by getting what we want. And it's not that getting what we want is bad, it's just that if, if we never work with this level of a deeper level of facing how life really is, facing that we really can't control a lot of the pain and pleasure in our lives, um, we'll never get free. So I like to talk about um, renunciation in the way that I first started discovering what it was. I first came on staff here in 1978, and I didn't have a clue what it was, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that I had to be here. Uh, and when I came here on staff, there were very um, small courses, there weren't that many teachers, and the staff all decided that we'd come up with certain, we called them disciplines for a week. And so one was um, every night at 6.15 we would do loving-kindness meditation. And this is a meditation where you just send loving thoughts to yourself and others. And in those days, that house across the street used to be owned by a family, not by IMS. And they had this dog that they used to hit a lot, and it was chained up, and it was a very, very unhappy dog. And it barked constantly. And none of us really had noticed it at that point. And we came in here every night at 6 o'clock, like a, a summer day like today, and we'd be sitting here, you know, May I be happy, may you be happy, may all beings be happy, and bark, 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 you know, and you just couldn't concentrate. You know, every time you tried to think, may I be happy, it would be bark, 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 bark. And we were just getting, we were sitting here trying to feel love, and we were getting angrier and angrier and angrier. But I didn't want to admit it. I couldn't face it. And after about four or five nights of me trying to May I be happy? You know, that's <laughs> just furious. I was walking out this hall, and the staff person in front of me turned around to me and he said, You know, I hate that dog. I hate that dog. And it was just like, it was my first moment of getting what we were doing. You know, it wasn't going to be easy. I realized, oh, we were coming in here to try to be loving. And by trying to be loving, we had to face our own hatred. You know, and that was so much a revelation for me. It's like, oh, uh, I, it's like I thought I would come in the hall and just get to practice love, but actually I had to open to hate. Um, that's renunciation. It wasn't running out of the hall and trying to get rid of the sound. It was trying to get open to what my experience of it was and to learn to work with it. There were many disciplines that we did that year, and uh, I had to face coming in the hall when I was tired. I had to face eating when I wanted to talk. You know, it was like, that's what we do. We come in and we work with giving up our preferences. We work with going through the sleepiness. We're not trying to get rid of sleepiness. And if we were trying to get rid of sleepiness, say it's, uh, you know, maybe this 
at least for me, when I want to go to bed, I'm really happy when I fall asleep. But there's something about coming in the hall and we think something's wrong with it. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just low energy. And we can bring up different ways to work with it, but just to know that sleepiness is part of being human. Uh, and it's often the resistance to it that's so painful. And if you look closely, and this is what the first few days of a retreat is like, resistance is what makes things difficult. That's the only thing that makes it difficult. When we become interested or accepting of our experience, it's okay. It's no longer a problem. And that's what you probably start to find change over some days, is the shift from you know, not wanting to be with restlessness or not wanting to be with a breath. There'll start to be this opening at times to going, oh, I can do this. Uh, and it's like when I say that it was worth the stretch of climbing that mountain, any little bit of peace or feeling of protection or safety that we get in this practice, we realize, oh, it was worth the stretch. Sometimes it doesn't happen until we leave a retreat. We don't get it. You know, maybe a week or two later, we see that instead of growling at somebody, <laughs> we actually pause when we're angry. You know, it's just little things. Or maybe we're really stressed out and we remember, oh, it's okay. The present moment's good. I can take a breath. So the effort that we put into the practice becomes not so much into changing what's happening, it's understanding renunciation. It's understanding what we're doing here. You know, it's a little clearer when we're doing walking meditation that we're not trying to get anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks ridiculous. You know, we're going back and forth, back and forth. So again, it's kind of getting that sense of, you know, what are we doing in walking meditation? You know, it took Steve and I many years to appreciate walking. We're both sitters. And sitters are people that go deeper in the practice in sitting. Walkers are people that go deeper in the practice walking. Steve and I were both sitters, so it took us some years to really get any sense of why we're do we were doing it. You know, but you just keep putting in your time. You know, you just, just keep doing it. And over time, there'll be a moment where you get it. It's like, oh, that's what it's about. But then you'll forget. <laughs> you know, we forget. One of the reasons that I wear a turtle um, is because I feel that us humans are so slow at knowing what we're doing on the planet. You know, it's like, and that reminds me, oh yeah, you know, I'm human, we're all human, and it helps me to have patience not only with myself, but others. This is a quotation that I really like a lot called The Guest House by Rumi. Um, this being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, 
Treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. How many moments today did you treat what was happening as a guest house? Or did you slam the door and say, no, I don't want you? Or did you say, go to the basement? Or did you say, go to the attic? Or, I have room for one of you, but that's all. And and this is really the question as a human being. Uh, I know that at the beginning of my meditation practice, about 1% of my life was acceptable to me, and the rest wasn't. And what I've seen change more than anything is that more and more of my life experience has become acceptable. And how it's this relationship of treating whatever's happening as a guest, as a visitor, uh, rather than as an enemy or something to hold on to. So how do we do this? How do we learn to treat each moment as a guest house? Did you do it with sleepiness today or restlessness? or sadness, or knee pain. Can you imagine treating knee pain as a guest that's coming into your house? You know, this is the idea, or fear, or whatever. Um, And so I wanted to get into more detail of how that happens, because first we do this renunciation bit, which is that we we, um, commit to not harming. And committing to non-harming allows the mind to settle and relax. If we're filled with regret about what we've done, um, the mind can't relax. And then there's concentration. And every time you come back to the breath, or every time you come back to a sound, that's a kind of concentration. And that's, um, say you're coming back to the breath, and you're really trying to just be concentrated. If a body pain comes up, you ignore it. And if a sound happens, you ignore it. And if fear happens, you ignore it. And it's just like you close the guest house. You say, no. Any pain, you ignore it. And it doesn't mean that the attention might not go there. You might get called to the bird or the sound of the fan or the knee pain hits. And you're there, and you just say, hi. You feel it, but you don't stay. You go back to the breath. You go back to the breath, or you go back to sound, whatever works better for an anchor. And this anchor is a protection. It's a seclusion until the mind is strong enough to be able to be with the experience. And so if you went to knee pain every time it happened, and you were hating it and hating it and hating it, all that would be happening is hatred. You'd build up hatred. But say you learn over you know, the course of this retreat, you learn, oh, it's calling my attention. You let it go, and you just come back, and you come back. And you rest the mind enough to some point build the interest. Instead of resistance to the experience, the opposite of resistance is interest. And then the whole experience changes. And this is all you need to know. Basically, all you need to know is that when you can't face something, you you can just go to the breath or a sound. But what we tend to do is we think we get, 
we don't think we can do it and we get lost in fantasy, we get lost in the past, we get lost in the future. Uh, and we take these holidays that don't actually give us energy. They actually tire us out more and then we can't face how life is even more. So the idea, and you can't learn to do this perfectly right away, but the idea is that you first start a meditation or in your life, even if you're in school and you're having a hard time, just come back to the breath or just come to sound. You anchor in the present moment lightly. Now this isn't the peak, deep experience, deepest spiritual experience of your life. It's just (laughs) being a human being and not being lost. And then the idea is, once you start being able to do this, you start being able to open and open and open to more of the experiences we haven't known how to be with. So the protection moves from concentration to mindfulness. Because if you look at what usually protects us, it's usually not liking things, or liking things, or sleepiness. You know, it's like, look at how we usually get through life. What's happening if you're not in the present moment? And I would really encourage you to look at it. You know, what, what is happening when you're not here? And you, I would gather that most of the time you'll either be in the past or the future. And start to question it. You know, why, why is it so hard? What's going on here? And often one thing that we start to see is that we're really afraid of change and that life is changing, and it's changing very quickly. And so when you start moving from concentration to just being aware of your moment-to-moment experience, try it. See what happens if you don't anchor your attention. And just let the attention go to whatever's happening. There'll be a sound, a body sensation, a thought, a body sensation, and eventually the mind will get lost in a thought. And then where's the protection? Where's the safety? And then when anchors again, let go of control again. See what happens. And what happens over time is you start getting more skill at being in the present moment. And change becomes less and less scary. So I can say at 45 years old, I don't like that my hair is getting gray. <laughs> I don't like that I can barely see my <laughs> notes. You know, and you probably are going through a period in life where you're getting close to leaving home and whatever it is um, that's changing. When I was young, my mother died and that was really like a a knockout. Um, You know, what is life? Um, what, What is change? You know, what are we doing here? And these, these things that we're teaching, the ability to come back just to a breath, to come back to a sound coming and going. All this is giving us the strength of mind to face change and to face our reactions to change. So try to get a different sense of what you are doing when you come in to sit. Or try to get a different sense of why you come, what happens when you walk. Or at breakfast when you're eating silently. Or even in the discussion groups. Uh, because the whole uh, strength of the practice is to get a mind that's ready for anything. Because anything can happen. And so much of the, the direction that you'll be getting out in life is not that. It's to keep 
trying to, to, <laughs> to change things um, and not face how life is. You know, so that's why I think of IMS as a spiritual home, because there's a way in which the truth is faced a little more, uh, and you'll feel thirsty for it. And underneath all the fun of being here and the torture <laughs> or prison-like feeling of being here is hopefully a sense that within the structure um, some peace and love can be found or freedom can be found that's different than getting what we want. And none of this is easy for any of us to learn. So we go from, in concentration, excluding everything to mindfulness, including everything, including any experience that can happen. Um, So uh, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling, thinking. And one of the things I was talking with somebody in an interview today, it's like the eye sees, the ear hears, the nose smells, on and on and on. The mind thinks. And if you start to think of your mind more as an organ, like the thinking is happening, do you think that you would try to like get rid of your ear to, to be a happy human being and to be peaceful here? Do you think that you would get rid of an eye? But somehow when it comes to thinking, we think that somehow we have to get rid of it to be happy. Uh, And that's just try to see that you're not trying to get rid of sound or you're not trying to get rid of sight. And we're not trying to get rid of thought. The only thing is is that tomorrow, um, Stephen and I will encourage you to work more with thinking and more with emotion. And when you look at thinking, it is so... I mean, it's so insubstantial, and yet it has so much power over us. Try to close your eyes and look at a thought, and yet they have so much incredible power. So at first in meditation, we ground with physical sensation because they're moving slower. You know, but a sound moves pretty quickly. A breath moves pretty quickly. It takes a lot of quiet just to notice a breath. Uh, so, thoughts are moving faster than the speed of sound. And think of that. You know, think of what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to get an attention that's slow enough to pick up that kind of speed. And so that you're not a victim of being a human being with a mind, but that can start seeing it more clearly. So please don't get the sense that we're trying to get rid of thinking as much as getting a chance grounding outside of this head. You know, when you just look around and look at people's heads and think about all the suffering that goes on in our minds, you know, and sometimes I look out at all of us and I think, oh, if only we could broadcast one person's mind each sitting on a loudspeaker. It would be humiliating, right? (laughs) Can you imagine? But if we did it anonymously, you'd start to see again that we're all pretty similar. The stories would change, but then you'd start to hear the judgments. You know, like, oh, did you see that person's shoes? Oh, look at that person's hair. You know, we just, a lot of our mind is judging. Uh, Can you accept that? 
but can you not buy into it? So we can't control that the judgment comes up. Uh, every time I go through the upper walking room and then into the coat room, and I look at everybody's shoes, I know, oh, I like that, I don't like that, I like that, I don't like that. I just watch judgment. We don't have to control it, but we don't have to buy into it. And every once in a while, I've taught a lot of retreats, somebody has this pair of shoes that is so different and so unique, and my eyes will lock into them and I'll say, oh, <laughs> that's a nice pair of shoes. <laughs> I want those. Um, we do it with each other. How many of you have found people here that you'd like? Maybe you'd like to be in a relationship with. Maybe you'd like to marry. <laughs> Maybe you've already divorced them. You know, we can sit here during a sitting and we can, you know, go through a lifetime with somebody and divorce them by the time we walk out of the hall again. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. And then when we don't like somebody, you know, what do we do? We sit there and we figure out all these things about that person and how we don't like them. And then maybe we talk to them afterwards and we find out that we actually like them. Try it. It's incredible. And all of that judgment and all of the way we think we like somebody and how we don't like somebody, all of it's just conditioned. And we're not free. We're victims of it. It, it happens like that. You look at somebody, there'll be attraction. There'll be no control over it. But what you can start to do is go, oh, liking, attraction, and have some space around it. It's not mine. You don't try to get rid of it, but you don't take it personally. You let it come and go like the sound. Uh, so I could go into much more detail about this, and maybe in the groups, the discussion groups at some time, or Steve can talk more about this tomorrow. Uh, but to start to get a sense that whatever comes up, whether it's sleepiness, or attraction, or anger, you know, that actually all of this is workable for us when we have the protection of mindfulness. And mindfulness is an attention that isn't resisting the experience, and it, it, it's um, not fighting it, it's allowing and accepting the experience. But there's one other piece, it's not taking it personally. And that's what allows us actually to really experience whatever it is, maybe it's loneliness, and let it come and go just like the sound of a bird. So if we are uh, truly a guest house, <coughs> resistance will be okay, and acceptance will be okay. So if you find you're sitting here and you're resisting the experience, that's okay. You don't have to change it. See if you can be with the experience in your body. Uh, mostly with all of the things I'm suggesting, like working with sleepiness or fear or restlessness or whatever, see if you can bring the attention out of your head and really feel the physical sensations in the body. It helps ground the attention out of the mind.
this um, last fall I got to do a three-week self-retreat down at the study center, and I had been for some years looking forward to this experience. Uh, and I was looking forward to a certain kind of silence that um, I don't get often in my life. And so I, I woke up the first morning, and I was so excited about having this uh, solitude. And I went into my room, and I started sitting. And a huge flatbed truck pulled up um, next door, you know, really loud, long. And I heard them unloading lumber and shingles and skill saws. And then the carpenters um, turned on the AM radio really loud. And so right next to my mom, my ear, you know, they, they built an addition onto the study center. Uh, and you just couldn't believe, at first, you know, there was so much anger. Uh, and I, that's one of my difficulties, is working with sounds I don't like. Uh, and I just had to imagine myself as a volcano going off. You know, it was just like fire. <laughs> uh, and once I got over getting caught in the thoughts of, I don't want this, I don't want this, and I could, I don't want this is just resisting the experience of anger. And once you can feel the, it's just built up pressure and heat and tingling, it's just anger. Once I accepted that anger, I could just feel the helplessness. You know, that that's what was going to be happening. Uh, that's just how life is in that moment, that that sound was there. There's nothing I could do about it. And once I allowed it, it just became sound coming and going. And sometimes it was unpleasant at first, and eventually it just stopped bothering me. Renunciation was sitting through that, allowing myself to feel the anger, let it come and go, and eventually finding freedom with that. On that retreat, um, a lot of loneliness came up for me on levels that I'd never experienced before. And when I came out of the retreat, I found a quotation um, from Tennessee Williams, a great playwright, American playwright. And he said about loneliness, when so many of us seem so lonely, it, it would be quite selfish to experience our loneliness all by ourselves. Um, I remember when I was a young adult, you know, there were ways in which I felt connected, but there was, um, as I moved into the world of adult from young adult, there were times of a lot of loneliness and fear. Uh, and I really didn't have help at learning how to go through that without either sleeping through it or, <laughs> you know, um, playing music really loud through it, or, you know, whatever. That Not that any of this, that is wrong, but I didn't have any help at learning that I could actually go those, through those experiences and not be afraid of it. And I found, this retreat especially, that once I could only go through that experience of loneliness, I felt less lonely and more connected to nature, to my friends, um, to Steve. Uh, than ever. And when I would fight it and not go through the experience, I would get more and more lonely. Uh, or if I thought that there would be somebody maybe that would save me from it, I would get more and more lonely. 
So I'm just touching on a few um, areas. Uh, you'll have your own places as a guest house, being a human and being a guest house. There'll be some things that you're really good at letting in to your house, to your home. And there'll be things that you don't know how to yet. That's where you're not free. That's where your work will be this lifetime. And I wish for you to get as much um, help, not only through these tools of meditation, through your friends here. The more your friends learn, the more they can help you. The more you learn, the more you can help them. And you can move out of this place of IMS and really bring as much um, of this peace and understanding and love out into this world that needs it so much. So if you're a guest house, you know, you help other people be a guest house, even without talking about it, even without, um, you don't have to be a missionary, you just um, are yourself. I wanted to um, end with a quotation from Red Cloud, who was, um, lived in the last century. And he was a chief of the Ogala Sioux tribe. And he had to eventually um, give over his tribe to a reservation. And this is what he said before he did that. And I think it's relevant for us who live in this country. Because I think your generation has um, the chance to do this, to change the karma of this. I am poor and naked, but I am the chief of the nation. We do not want riches, but we want to do, to train our children right. Riches would do us no good. We could not take them with us to the other world. We do not want riches. We want peace and love. Let's sit for a minute. I figure if I could learn how to do this practice, you can learn how to do this practice. May we all learn to be a guest house.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.